The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for StockEd. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Now, we're doing something a bit different today. We're talking about the area of investor relations crossing over into, you know, how do companies keep in contact and get their stories out there with across shareholders, brokers, institutions, and the, the general public. Very important, but overlooked part of the business. Uh, so we've got a bit of an expert in the field with us today, Pete Morris. Pete Morris is Executive Account Manager at the Perth-based Corporate Storytime. Now, uh, Pete's got a, a bundle of ideas that he's going to uh, pass on to us today about how our junior can have a re- should be sitting down now and having a rethink about how they go forward in terms of not only investor relations, but how they access capital, what markets they should be looking at, and some new ideas that uh, might help the cause because, as we all know, a junior explorer without a cash flow is always uh, looking over the shoulder about where the next round of capital is coming from. So hopefully Pete will give us all a few ideas. So with that, I'll say, g'day, Pete. Welcome to the podcast. G'day, Barry. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, Pete, uh, I, I sense a bit of an accent there. Uh, <laughs> good idea if we uh, give uh, listeners a bit of a feel for, for from your background. Well, I apologize for the accent, but I've lived <laughs> in Australia for nearly four years. Yeah, so my background is I grew up on top of the Barnett Shale in Texas, which mm. was the first shale play to be developed in North America and was a huge transformation for the energy industry. So unrelated to that, my career has basically focused on natural resources and it's an industry for which I have a great deal of passion. My background's in accounting. I studied accounting. I'm a CFA and a CPA. I was at Pricewaterhouse for a couple of years. Then after business school, I started a nearly 20-year career in the investment management business. The first was with a firm called Waddell & Reed, which is based in Kansas City and was acquired in 2021 by Macquarie. There, I covered a variety of different things, energy, agriculture, as well as renewable energy when that was being developed. I moved to Greater China after about eight years and lived in Hong Kong for a decade. I continued with Waddell while I was there, and I covered countries in Southeast Asia, such as Indonesia and the Philippines, which have large resource endowments. And I also was able to see the growth and demand for commodities in China. Things were Mm -hmm. really booming then. It was a good period of time. I later joined Franklin Templeton, which is really the pioneer in global investing Mm -hmm. there. I also look at the Philippines and Indonesia, and I was a global oil field services analyst, as well as covering Asian energy. Before I joined Templeton, I had an opportunity to, to look around, and I thought Australia would be a great place to be, not only 
our people terrific here, but it's a huge, it has a great set of opportunities going forward. It's really well managed. It's a great place. I can see my kids doing well here. And as it pertains to this, it's the center of the mining world. What I like to tell people is that Perth and Australia are two battery metals, gold and mining, what Houston was to conventional oil and gas. So varied and uh, interesting background there. Um, the, now you're in Perth and uh, you must be feeling a bit of a buzz over there. Uh, I'm Melbourne based, of course. Um, but you know, gold's looking good, lithium's racing ahead, iron ore, copper. You look across the, the field and you go, well, the mining sector is buzzing, but there must be uh, this access to capital remains a concern to a lot of the juniors out there who uh, who are at that pre-discovery, early stage project level. What advice do you bring to the table when a, a small junior knocks on the door and says, how do we go about raising some capital in this market? Yeah, so this is where my accent really helps. And the goal that I have is to help transform this industry. And what I mean by that is historically, this industry, particularly the explorers, have been funded by retail investors. The sector is, given the high capital requirements, the, the need for significant capital over time, is more tailored to an institutional model. So I think of exploration as similar to a tech venture capital firm. Uh, they can write big checks and they have the expertise to analyze the investment. In addition, the second part of it is that the market for investments and resource projects to me seems to be very bifurcated and that's based on my own experience as well. Investors in the United States tend to look, or in Canada, tend to look in North America. Here, people tend to look at Australia. But the expertise to analyze resource projects and companies resides in both, lo both locations, and particularly in Canada, where they have roughly 50% more resources companies trading on the TSX and the expertise to analyze those. Those are potential investors who can look at ASX listed stocks. And what we're trying to do is connect the two. So it's a matter when I was doing this of having familiarity, knowing the, the companies well, knowing the resources well, and my job is to connect companies here to investors there. And by increasing the pool of potential investors, companies here should be able to get more capital, which has been very important given how constrained the capital markets have been over the last couple of years. To your original point, it's, it's a very interesting conundrum in that the demand for metals should be tremendous going forward. The number of mines, whether it's copper, I've heard somebody suggested 70 mines, 60 mines, 30 mines for lithium and other types of, of metals. 
that will require an enormous amount of capital. On the front end of that is the exploration companies making sure they have the capital to find the projects and then develop those. And it's something the world desperately needs as we as we get underway with the energy transition. There's, uh, I presume there's a, a few factors in Australia's favour in terms of attracting, say, North American capital. One would be the uh, cheap Aussie dollar and uh, agreement around uh, Tier 1 ESG and uh, Tier 1 um, uh, no, uh, no issues around sovereignty uh, concerns. So it, from your link backs into the North American market, do you have a sense that uh, they are interested but they're not being engaged by the Australian juniors? Is that the problem at the moment? When I was an investor, that certainly was the case. We we didn't see as many Australian companies as we did, say, Canadian companies. So the job is to increase the familiarity of investors in North America with the great companies that we have here. Being in Perth, for somebody like me who, who really loves looking at resources and commodities, it's just tremendous to see the various gold projects lithium, other things that are being, have been or will be developed here. The resource base is tremendous. And I think by communicating that to investors in North America, they'll see how good the resource base is and want to invest. But to your, there are other aspects beyond just capital markets for funding. There are a variety of different programs offered by the government that can actually help companies that are based here in mines here. For example, as part of the Defense Procurement or Production Act, the Department of Defense in the United States has authorization to spend $1 billion U.S. dollars on critical metals, and they can invest in projects. Linus has received a $120 million contract in a way that's related to this. But the mandate for the Department of Defense is fairly broad. So companies, for example, can request a feasibility study to be paid by Department of Defense. I've heard a Canadian company is moving forward. That's something we would like to discuss with or we want to pursue with our clients. In addition, there are loan programs. For example, INEAR received a $700 million loan last week from the Department of Energy. This is a small part of the overall mandate for Department of Energy to provide loans, which is in the hundreds of billions. They have, I think, $19 billion outstanding now. They have applications for $119 billion, again, all in U.S. dollars. And beyond that, in the Inflation Reduction Act, and this is really the key driver, but it doesn't, it's not a direct funding source. In order to receive credits for new, to purchase new vehicles, the automakers need to source their metals from countries that have free trade agreements with the US. To put this in perspective, if you look at nickel, the only two countries that have free trade agreements with the U.S. that are in the top 10 are Australia and Canada. So the way we've seen that is we've seen it through investments by GM, 
Stellantis and some others into mines, companies, or offtake agreements. So what we want to do for our clients is position them, give them visibility so that when automakers or others are looking at projects that they're familiar. But beyond that, what I, the way I see this is I see it evolving the way the oil and gas industry evolved with shale. And part of that was the involvement of different types of investors, different types of institutions and pensions. So I think beyond just getting investors interested in, in North, investors in North America, getting them interested in ASX listed stocks, there's also an avenue that we are pursuing to try to get alternative sources of funding. So again, capital constrained market, the market need, the companies need capital. Where can we get it? And given that the U.S. capital markets are more than 20 times the size of Australia, it's a good place to do it. I guess the obvious question is, how can a junior afford to engage with the uh, North American market? Uh, would it require a personal visit uh, once a year, uh, once a quarter? Um, would it have to be repeated uh, time and time again to maintain uh, or start building those connections? Well, that would be the best way. So let me give you an example of what we're doing now. This is the busy conference season in Canada. So the AME conference is this week in Vancouver, along with another conference. At the beginning of March, there's a PDAC conference in Toronto. What distinguishes PDAC is that it's one of the largest in the world. So they're roughly 20,000 visitors to the conference. Uh, what we're doing there's, is twofold. Uh, for one company in particular, uh, they're a larger cap lithium company. I've designed a roadshow so that they can go see larger, well-known Canadian institutions, particularly the people who handle resources funds. So given their size, they can en engage with the institutional market. There's another smaller company that we work with called Balkan Mining and Minerals. They have a project in Western Ontario. They have land there. Uh, they've, it's very early stage, but it looks very promising. In addition, they just pegged land within all at 25 Ks of Patriots Corvette discovery. So they also have land there. Given that it's early stage and their market cap is relatively low, what we're doing is we have a booth at PDAC. I'll be the one there. If people want to meet, please feel free to <laughs> stop by. Yep. That's where I'll be. But basically introduce them to the investor base in, in Canada. Over the years, I've noticed that uh, the Canadian juniors um, are quite, uh, when it comes to annual budgets, uh, allocate quite a sizable chunk, some sometimes 10, 20% of their investor relations profile across shareholders, brokers, instos and public. Uh, that would be nowhere the case in Australia. It's, so I guess you're arguing that that in Australia probably needs to be stepped up in terms of the be seen in the annual budget as a very important part of doing business as a junior. Absolutely. But I wouldn't say to people, though, that this is necessarily that expensive. Mm -hmm. 
So we, we can do it very cost effectively. It's not a huge drain on budgets. And we recognize that mm. these companies, I enjoy talking to management teams because so many of them are very focused on yeah. drilling, getting the resource out of the ground. And you can see the passion. We're not here to, our services are not, a substantial drain on that mm-hmm. and making trips overseas is for one or two people isn't that significant so mm-hmm. we can design a, a program relatively cost effective and also effective in terms of getting the story out and i think it's important my background is in energy and as i mentioned i started my career or my when i was growing up in living above the Barnett Shale, which is the largest or the first shale play. But the evolution of the energy industry, I think, is will be similar to what we see here, which is why what drives this idea behind transformation funding. So mining now reminds me of oil and gas in Texas in, in particular in the 1980s. There are a couple of reasons. First, there was a big investment in Energy in the 1970s, that fell off. So here, in the case of mining, there was a big investment boom uh, early part that ended early part of last decade. Production came, there was a drop in prices. Two, the industries are have many different explore at the time for energy, many different smaller explorers. And then you had some large major companies similar here were explorers and then you have bhp rio glencore and others who are just massively bigger than the others and then third at the time the energy industry was funded by small investors if you had half a million dollars you could get together some doctors dentists and fund a well and that's Mm -hmm. how people did it yeah problem with it it's just not you need more capital to develop these plays. So U.S. oil production dropped from over 10 million barrels a day down to 8.6, I think it was. Shale changed that. With shale, the cost of a well was jumped to 7 million. Now we're talking roughly 9 million. Shale led to greater efficiencies. It led to greater capital. There was massive consolidation. So the smaller players simply went away. It became a model where the institutions like us were funding these sorts of projects, and that's the way the industry works. So it was the shift in the increase in the wells that led to a dramatic transformation. Now the industry is dominated by large EMP companies. With mining, I think a similar thing happens because with the develop with the need for metals to fuel the energy transition, many more mines will need to be built. So instead of the model of basically drilling a hole, mm-hmm. proving the resource and then moving it on to something else, more capital will need to come in to develop more mines because the, the need for these mines is tremendous. Yeah. And that amount of capital needs different sources beyond retail investors. For sure. Now, beyond what uh, corporate uh, story time is doing client to client, um, I was wondering, um, 
are you embarking on any sort of educational process of the broader investment community out there? We're trying to, I, I'm writing articles trying to talk to people about the potential, not only for the ways of getting additional capital from North America, but mm-hmm. also writing, I, I'm working on an article discussing some of the different programs that are available from the U.S. government. Uh, yep. The way I think that evolves is the U.S. is not a big mining jurisdiction. There are great there are places like Arizona and Nevada where they have mines, and permitting can be done. But newer areas will be difficult. What I think happens in the industry is that places like Australia and Canada are the ones providing the resource. And given the way the tax credits work in the U.S., there are incentives to build the mm. manufacturing side of it there. So basically working to explain what's available and what can be funded either through institutional investors, in other words, attracting people who will write checks when money needs to be raised or uh, getting, getting funds directly from companies or the government itself. Interesting stuff. Uh, I haven't asked you the most important question. Uh, You've been in Perth a while now. Who did you adopt West Coast or Freo? I'm a GWS supporter. Oh, well, you <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> well, I lived, I lived in Canberra for many years. Okay. So right. I, which was great because I, the, the phenomenal thing about following GWS in Canberra is you can get incredibly good seats. I would always sit right <laughs> next to it in the style, field. Yeah. yeah, and the it's a funny it's funny that you asked that. I'm a huge footy fan I, I the game is fascinating to me because you have such a different array of skills that these athletes possess the ability it's a physical game yet mm-hmm. it's also endurance it's precision kicking it it's a it's a it, it's just fascinating to watch what, templeton when i worked there they're for our group our offices in melbourne so mm-hmm. i would the great thing about there is you can go down the street to Marvel, watch a game there, go to the MCG. Now, the problem with MCG is I always I always would see the Richmond games. I, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, I, I was always there when they were playing Geelong, and I could never get a good seat. I was always standing room only yeah. in these cold – the cold MCG at that point, cold in the middle of the winter here. But I, I'm a huge – I'm a GWS fan. I'm a little bit disappointed they – Got rid of Leon Cameron, but hopefully better things are coming. Okay, Pete. Well, thanks for your time today. Uh, I think you've opened uh, a, f- a few doorways there that uh, juniors should uh, be looking at. So with that, I'll thank you for your time today and I wish you all the, all the best in the future. Thanks, Barry. It's great to be here.